You're listening to Building the Game with Rob and Jason. It's Building the Game with Jason and Rob. For tabletop game design, you really can't go wrong. Building the Game, yeah, Building the Game. Hello and welcome to Building the Game, a documentary podcast. Today is Monday, June 10th, 2019. It's episode 367. I thought I would play with my cadence in this intro today. How did that go? How'd that feel? Well, our guest thinks it's funnier than I did because I listened <laughs> to you do it. With cadence again. <laughs> Say again? 11 out of 10 with cadence again. Oh, good. Thank you. I appreciate that. That's the best review I've ever gotten in my entire life. True story. <laughs> hey, uh, surprise builders. We also have uh, Chris from uh, formerly Flip the Table, uh, your moderator, Chris, Chris Michu. We have uh, uh, hey! our favorite special guest on the show. Hi, Chris. Hey, it's an honor to, to be here again. You know, I, I found out uh, that Rob was uh, going to come over to the retired uh, podcaster's home with us, and I wanted to make sure that I got on at least one more time uh, before that happened so I could hang out. So it's a pleasure to be here. Well, we're very thrilled to have you. Thank you so much for coming back. Um, what's what's new with you, sir? Uh, let's see. Uh, I'm playing a lot of pinball. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Uh, they just got Iron Maiden at my uh, local pinball spot, which Ooh, has nice. one pinball machine. Nice. Uh, Good. But they rotate it, so... Uh, okay. Oh, okay. I thought, like, it just became your local pinball spot because they just got their first machine. <laughs> now, we got, we got, like, two, maybe three places that you can play pinball, but none of them are, like pinball places there's just a place with pinball gotcha um and this one happens to be walking distance from my work so every wednesday i go and i uh, i play iron maiden pinball and i uh blow out my shoulder touching the machine <laughs> nice so how how is iron maiden how's it compared to other other games uh, i like it a lot i think it might be other than ghostbusters it might be the favorite one that they've gotten at this particular location oh yeah okay um because uh, it's got like cool animation uh it's got these uh, crazy um, like four or five ball multi-ball that you can unlock. And, and anytime you get a multi-ball more than three, that's pretty exciting. Yeah. That's, that's great. That's, that's like a yeah. panic attack. Have you ever been, to, have you ever been to Las Vegas, sir? I, I've always wanted to go to Las Vegas, if only for the, the pinball hall of fame. Yeah. Maybe a Penn and Teller show. Okay. Yeah. I mean, you need to go for the pinball hall of fame. It's incredible. It's can so play cool. Lots of machines or just look at them. You can play all of the machines. Nice. Yeah. They're all working. Yeah, if you've got, 200 pinball machines in one place and you can't play them you're doing something wrong yeah it's almost overwhelming I, well i, I don't yeah. want to say almost it is kind of overwhelming that you don't even know where to start right but yeah it's worth going just for that yeah just to take in the spectacle we used to have a place in uh, pelham new hampshire that was kind of like that and, and it's sadly uh gone by the wayside it was called pinball wizard they had mm. uh, easily 100 pinball machines all in great care we used to plan weekend vacations around it nice. uh and then uh they went out of business which is unfortunate that's too bad. Yeah, I heard they were taking it one, two, three. Um, so, yeah, yeah, that's exactly what happened. I think yeah. uh, you must have read the same Facebook article. Yeah. that I did. Yeah, about what happened there. Certainly. <laughs> <laughs> we've we've got a pretty good uh, uh, bar here, uh, local brewery that they they have a good uh, tabletop game collection, and they've got some arcade machines, and they've got well, like eight or nine pinball machines in there too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they have a league. That you oh, can that's play right, on. they do. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I don't do that, but so they have a league. We're pretty lucky. I've always wanted to do that. I've always wanted to like play alongside people who are better at pinball than me and like learn a thing or two. Yeah. Um, cause I, I practice 
pretty often. It's, it's one of my favorite things to do. I, I like to practice on the Switch a lot as well. They have some really good uh, replications of classic machines that play really well. Is that oh. is that Zen Pinball? Uh, that is Pinball Arcade. Pinball Arcade, okay. Um, so the ones I play these days are Frankenstein, Pinball, and Ghostbusters Pinball. I play, probably play those the most. Um, and uh, they're really like table accurate to a point where the skills are transferable. It's not like Guitar Hero, which does not teach you to play guitar, yeah. but it's still a fun game. Like, Wait, you can, what? You can learn to... I know. <laughs> this, is, this is breaking news. It's <laughs> building the game. Darn it! to blow the lid off this whole thing. <laughs> the whole plastic instru- instrument genre. <laughs> right. But yeah, like you, you could play on the app and you will get better at the real machine. And, and the only downside is that like, since it's pixel perfect, like the physics are always clean, and that is not always the case in real pinball. Like yeah. they take weird bounces and roll over imperfections in the table or whatever. But but it's close enough for, oh, for mustard. So yeah, yeah, that's one of those things that, that I remember being like in my late twenties and, and having that moment where I, where I realized, oh, you can like actually get good at pinball. It's not just a stupid game of chance, right? Right. Yeah, that was that was one of those moments where, and then shortly thereafter, it was like, I will never be good at pinball. <laughs> well, you know, they they probably did not have them that they have today, which I found greatly beneficial is YouTube. Oh yeah, uh, because I've learned so much about uh, pinball strategy. Like you can look up just about any game and learn like what the rules are, like what ramps you should hit or whatever. Oh. But there's also a lot of really good basic strategy about like how to pass the ball from one flipper to another and uh, like how to better play your multi-ball and things like that. Like, um, and just that kind of stuff is available today. And I think that's why there are so many more people who are better at pinball because those resources are there the way they weren't before. That's, yeah. it's, I have a friend who collects pinball machines and he has very old pinball machines. Like he actually had the wizard Tommy machine thing. Mm. Um, oh, wow. which, yeah, really cool. But he had this really old one called fast lane or something like that. Or, her um and he had this cowboy one too that he had and so here's the thing though they were old school like real old ones and they were very simple Mm. and so with those i loved it because i was able to be like okay i get what i need to do in this game and i could score really high because i was like i need to hit this then this then Mm -hmm. this then this you know light these all up and then whoa mega points you know Mm -hmm. um where with the newer pinball machines there's just so much going on that There's I'm like, going on. I'm yeah. gonna aim for these ramps and hope that I like. Hope I hit it. Yeah, like yeah. oh, going up the ramp is cool. Oh, I didn't earn any points. It still looked cool, you know. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's, it's definitely something like that's a good place to start. It's just try to hit obvious looking stuff, and then the more you do it, the more you realize, oh, if I hit the stuff in this order, it's slightly better for me. Um, and then you just go look it up on YouTube. That's the <laughs> right, right. Or like if I knock all these levers down in any order, once they're all down, if I do that without losing a ball, then I get mega points, you know? So, yeah. Right. Of course, um, it was funny. I was saying those games, like 10,000 points was like, you win 14 free games. I know. Yeah. <laughs> now it's like you get a million points for plunging the ball. Yeah. yeah. Like, boom, <laughs> a million points. 600 million for your free game. Right. <laughs> well, right on. Congratulations on your on your pinball success so far. Yeah, yeah. I feel like it's replaced all the other productive things that I've been meaning to do with my life, so it's working out pretty well. Good. Chris Micho, yeah. pinball wizard. <laughs> Just riding off into the sunset. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, so any any uh, any any tabletop adventures then, or is it strictly pinball for you? 
So, you know, I think this is the first time I've actually been on the Building the Game program uh-huh. and have actually been actively working on a game design. Oh. Um, this is probably my fifth appearance, something like that. Something like that. And the other four times I was a pundit. <laughs> and so I was just spouting opinions about things that I actually might not know about. Um, well, last time you did pitch Roll Estate. I did. I did. I, that was kind of a thing I was tinkering with, and I wasn't sure how far it was going to go. And now I'm actually, like, working on it. Like, yeah. it's, uh, you know, I've, I've sent it to publishers. I've got somebody who's actually testing it tonight as we speak. Oh, awesome. Um, so it's a thing that I'm working on and, uh, and that I can't wait to share with the world in one form or another. Uh, and I've learned a lot from that. Uh, and uh, I, I learned a lot, like, from listening to this show and other programs like it, which I think helped me to, to get a leg up. But, man, until you do it, you don't really appreciate the effort that it takes to, to design a game and make it good. Yeah, making it good is the hard part. Yeah, designing a game is easy. Yeah. Making it good is real, <laughs> real tough. Oh, yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's a little bit of work. But I, I really like uh, playing around in the roll and write space, though, because you can iterate fast. That's for sure, yeah. So if you go back to listen to the episode that aired just before uh, Christmas, I pitched it. It was called A Different Name, and it was a combination of two kind of popular mass market games that you've probably heard of. Um, it is now called Roll Estate, and has kind of grown beyond those roots. But it's a, it's a roll and write game, and it just takes five dice. And and it was surprising to me like how much like little subtle changes made such a huge difference. And the ability to do that and just print off new sheets and not have to shred up cards or make new tokens or, yeah. or do any of that extra construction uh, has, has made it a, a much more pleasurable process than maybe some stuff I've done in the past. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it sucks remaking a, a huge deck of cards. That's really painful. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, if, if I've learned anything from listening to this show, it's that you got to keep that first prototype as cheap and simple and bland as possible like don't search google images don't do anything other than the default text on whatever program you're using this um, this by the way is where gameicons.net come or gameicons.com net i think game dash icons i think it is net they have become amazing for quick prototyping they're really great and making like if you're like because sometimes I like to have images just because it makes it a little easier to understand the cards like and to remember. So ha- have you used GameIcons.net at all? I've been using Noun Project, actually. Noun Project really is like great, too. Noun Project is good, too. So the yeah. one thing that I'll give to GameIcons over Noun Project is so when you, you so you can search like tons of different icons and they are specifically made for board games, right? Mm-hmm. So you search for one, you say like, uh, I want dragon. And it'll be like, here's 40 dragon icons. And you click the one you want and then it's going to go to an image editor that's built in that is seamless where you can make it a circular icon, change the color, break apart the picture to change it to multiple colors. Um, then you can actually put text in the circle like or the square, right? With it, you actually export off an image that has everything you need for that card and you can do it in like two minutes. And the best is, so you keep your browser open, you search for the next one, you click it, it drops in, applies all those things to what you just did. And you just tweak the few things you need to tweak and save that one as well. And then oh, you just drop it on cards and uh, print it. That I now know that I wish I did. Yeah, yeah. It's, <laughs> it ago, is but... amazing. Um, and for somebody like me who is not great at graphic design, it makes my prototypes look better. Um and I've started to notice that other people's prototypes too. Like, oh, I know where you got those icons, oh, yeah, totally. which is cool, yeah, you know. Clever, yeah. But because you can color it, you can color them, 
it makes it real easy to um to you know make it personalized and so I, I highly recommend it to any builders you should check it out though chris it's 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 amazing it's a free thing it's built for people like us to use for prototypes and there's like 400 or 500 or maybe you know like 2000 it's some ridiculous number of icons now and you can actually request like hey i wish you had an icon that was like a guy getting shot in the head with an arrow and they're like no problem that's not how it works that easy but i you can submit ideas and they will and they're constantly releasing here's five new icons that are different beverage holders <laughs> you know so yeah <laughs> that's cool i, I think uh, it's good to have a free resource like that. I, I ended up paying the money for the licensing on Noun Project because it's $40 for a full year and I didn't want to bother with like attribution, uh, which is nice. So you just, you just kind of own it when you download it. Right. And you can use it for whatever you want, which is, which is cool. And, and it, since they're not strictly for games, Noun Project, you can find like some weird stuff, which is nice. Um, so I mean, there's no reason not to use both, honestly. I, I completely both. agree. Completely yeah. agree. For for a later stage prototype, the Noun Project, I think, would be perfect for me as well mm-hmm. to look at that and look for different icons and stuff. I, I've used it for different things. So that's all. If you pay the 40 bucks, that is license free. You can even like to publish. Or, yeah, you, you basically just use it however you want. Okay. Um, the cool. license terms kind of spell it out. But the, the impression that I got, and I'm not a lawyer by any means, but yeah. uh, was that if you pay the fee then you download it and they pay the artist and you're good. Um, so they yeah. pay their royalties out based on what you download while you have that license. Nice. The, so that just kind of takes care of everything. Yeah. See the, for me, the, the difference between the two was always that I felt like um, icons from the noun project were always a lot more sophisticated. Like I felt like they, they looked like higher quality pieces, pieces of, of art. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, uh, but the, but because they they were contributed by so many different artists, they have they have, you know, so many different styles, right? Yes. And so and so, um, I, noun project stuff I think looks better, but game icon stuff looks more consistent, right? And there are some game icons things that are specifically made to connotate a game term, sure, right? You know, yeah. I, I mean, to that end, I I think in working with Noun Project before, I never struggled to find something that would work for Me what either. I wanted. No, not at all. Yeah, it was just that I could tell that these I needed a set of five, and these three icons came from one artist, and these two icons came from a different artist, and I felt like that right. clashed to me. Yeah, I, that bothered me too. Yeah. Um, but so. we're both real biggie about that sort of thing. And, yeah. But I did find that you could look by artist, and then say, "Oh, oh I, look at all these yeah. different things they have." And then, I don't know yeah. that I ever did that. That's so. good. Anyway, well, cool. And then just you know, go pester that artist to make the things you're missing, right? There you go. Yes. <laughs> hey, I want I'm more sure of these, but in your Work. style. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Well, cool. Well, hey. So, um, we should probably move on to our topic for this week, which, uh, Chris, I think uh, you were gonna you were gonna uh, uh, handle that. I don't. Yeah. Un- yeah. I don't know what so, you want to talk about. So I don't know if you've talked about pitch videos on the show before. Oh, not technically, no. Yeah, yeah so uh, this was an interesting experience for me, and I thought it would be something we could discuss a little bit, because the pitch video, according to the research that I've done, has kind of like cell, seat, cell sheets used to be like a nice-to-have, and then they at some point became mandatory. Like if you were going to yep. shop your game to publishers, you had to have a cell sheet, and pitch videos are becoming that. There are publishers out there who will not even look at your game unless you meet them at a convention or 
you have a pitch video ready to send them if you're reaching out. Um, and so I thought that might be interesting to talk about just my own experiences going through and, and making one of those, uh, some of the best practices that we uh, have seen and, and that I found when I was, was looking into it. And then maybe just since um, I think the people on both sides of this phone have some video production experience, like how you can at home uh, have some best practices for shooting your video. That's a brilliant topic. That's really good topic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, so I, I started working on my pitch video when I was at a point with real estate where I was like, okay, this is a thing I can show to people now. Like I've tested it to a point where I'm satisfied enough that I would like to show it to publishers and see what will happen. Um, and the first thing that I did, which is the first thing that I think the listeners should do is to go Google it. Cause there's some amazing resources out there. Um, if you just search for like how to make a board game pitch video, you'll get like five really useful articles. Uh, the first one that I ran into was from the Boston Festival of Indie Games, which actually had like five or six really good examples of pitch videos, which each demonstrated a different thing uh, that was important to do or that you should consider. Um, so Google is your friend when you're first thinking about uh, doing a pitch video for sure. If you want to send us that link, I'll throw that in the show notes. That'd probably be a really good thing. So, yeah, and uh, and of course, Cardboard Edison, our friends at Cardboard Edison, have like a million good resources for this stuff too. So you definitely want to plumb uh, that resource as well. But uh, kind of at a high level, the the first thing that I learned, which it, it can be hard for me, and I think for any designer who who wants to tell people everything about their game, is that you've really got to condense it down to as short as you can get it and still get the point across. Um, it's really got to have enough brevity so that it doesn't drag on, but it has to still give enough information so that the publisher you're sending it to understands what they're looking at. And that is such a tough balance to strike. Yeah, um, definitely. Cause you, you know, for me, it was, it was kind of like, you know, there are these exceptions and these things that you could possibly do in the game that make the game exciting. And I had to figure out what I really could just leave out. Uh, because it's, it's got to be short and brief. I think mine clocked in at about five minutes. Um, you're probably even better off if you can get it in three or four. I, I would argue that two to three is probably your best length, if at all possible. Yeah, you're probably right about that. Or more games than I have. So, <laughs> um, well, no, no. I mean, I'm I'm just speaking strictly from a video standpoint, and as a content publisher, like that, like. Shorter videos get people's attention and they keep people's attention. Um, You could even, I would argue, make a one to two minute pitch video and then a longer version. Like, you know what I mean? Like basically this says in one to two minutes, I'm going to tell you how to play this game. Now, if you want to know more about it, here's some more information too. And then like, so basically try and sum up and get the whole point across in one to two minutes and then deal with those exceptions Mm -hmm. As a, you know what I mean? So yeah, it treated as that elevator elevator pitch. You've got two minutes to pitch this to somebody, and knowing that you're going to leave a lot of stuff out, um, but you got to focus on what makes it different, what makes it exciting. Right. Right. Like if your sell sheet is your resume, then your pitch video is your TV commercial. Yeah. You know, right. Got to ca- capture that attention, and uh, um, and an important thing that it, everybody seemed to agree on in all the resources that I looked at is that you don't have to be a professional video producer to make a really effective pitch video. But it doesn't hurt. Um, it, <laughs> it does not, but it doesn't require you right. to have like 
thousands of dollars in equipment and to hire out somebody to edit it and to right. get into Adobe After Effects and all this stuff. Um, I made mine on my iPhone uh, and I used iMovie to edit it. And I used yep. my sound editing software to, to make my voiceover. Yep. Um, you know, so, so all of which, other than the iPhone, I mean, that's going to be your most expensive investment, whatever kind of phone that you have. Um, but you can do it on your phone and still make it effective. And if but, you have iPhone, the is iMovie free for your iPhone, or do you have to pay for it? Free or it was like five bucks. Because if you have a Mac, iMovie is free. I mean, I use iMovie to edit um, like my videos I've done, and it's easy to work with. It doesn't have. It's got more bells and whistles than it used to, but it completely is passable for what you need to do for a pitch video. Absolutely. I mean, and a pitch video again, you know you shouldn't be setting a high budget for this because you might have to change your pitch video. Like you might reach out to a few publishers and then get some feedback and then realize I need to reposition some of this stuff. And you don't want to have spent a week making your video. Uh, if you're going to be in that position. Right. And I, I, so I've seen your pitch video and I, I thought it was fantastic. Like it kept my attention. It was, um, you know, it was, yeah, it was great. And, and I, um, I think that to me, one of the the best things about pitch videos are <clears throat> when we pitch in person, right? It can be hard. You, you said, you said sometimes when I was making the video, it was hard to know what I should really include and what I shouldn't include. And when you're pitching in person, it's even harder, right? Because you can like, it, it's harder to say, okay, I'm going to make this, you have an hour pitch meeting with someone, right? Like I'm going to make this elevator pitch to hook them. And then I'm going to go into the details and the exceptions, right? But it's easy to, like, that's what you should do, right? But in that pitch meeting, and Rob, I'm sure you've been there too, it's easier to say, well, there's a lot going on in this game. I'm going to tell you about all the cool stuff in this game and you're going to lose them, right? So the pitch video forces you to be brief, forces you to have that brevity that will hopefully get their attention. Um, You also have uh, you can make it fun. I mean, yours was was fun, right? Like I enjoyed watching that video, and that's what you want, right? It's not just like my game is this game, and you should do like speaking in a monotone voice, right? Like you want to have like excitement about your game and stuff, and you you had that, right? So, but I think you raise a good point too. Is is that uh, you know you're not just demonstrating the game in your pitch video; you're demonstrating you, right? And the publisher that you're sending this to is making a decision. Do I want to work with this person? Right. Um, and that can feel like a lot of pressure, you know, because uh, not everybody is, is outgoing or, or is a performer. Um, but at the same time, you should at least show enough enthusiasm about the product that you're, you're selling uh, to show that you're excited about it and that you're passionate about it. Um, yeah. You, know, you really got to, to, to deliver on that. Um, you know, and, and for me, uh, you know, it's something I've been working on for a long time. I was obviously excited to make the video. I also gave myself exactly one day to do it and I wasn't going to spend any more. So <laughs> I was in a hurry. Maybe that helped. I don't know. Um, but uh, it, it is something where you're you're not just showing your game. You're showing your own personality. And, and yes. it gives you an opportunity where if somebody just looks at your sell sheet and has never met you or just looks at your rule book and has never met you, they might lose some of the tone of your game. Whereas your pitch video does give you the ability to demonstrate what the tone of the game should be like, you know, and, and, and and so that, that is another good reason to make a pitch video is, is so that you can uh, use those sort of five senses to demonstrate your game, not just 
text on a page or pictures on a page. Yep. I, I made a series of pitch videos for a button shy contest one time. Yeah. Um, and like I actually made, the, I think the videos were all about 60 to 90 seconds, maybe two minutes tops. Um, and I made those videos all like, like scenes from like like the one was the it was the giant plant one like mm-hmm. you're trying to little shop of horror yeah it was a little yeah. shop of horror style game and so like I started that one with a clip of like me hiding in the dark in a dark room my bathroom actually uh, acting like there was a monster coming and getting attacked and then like <laughs> and then I went into the pitch like boom look at this so um you know I I was able to make it fun and one of those uh, I don't remember what I did for the mustachioed pitch but that game like. I don't know, made like the top five or something. I don't remember. Mm. I I didn't win, but I was close. Yeah. So anyways, uh, yeah, I mean, there's something to be said for making it get their attention, right? Yeah. Um, I, I think it's not unlike Kickstarter videos, right? Yeah. Where like your Kickstarter video, well, then again, a lot of Kickstarter videos right now, people are hiring like professional video producers to do them, right? Because yeah. the expectation is becoming, we want to see a really good Kickstarter video, which is um, silly, if you it ask is, me. It is silly. I, like, I don't even watch Kickstarter videos. N- neither do I. And, and so many of them are overproduced, but like the ones that I've loved the most were just kind of dumb, but still told me uh, good stuff about the game. Like they yeah. were funny and dumb and got my attention. And I mean dumb in like an endearing way, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, I, so anyways, I think that that making them be eye-catching in a way with a little bit of humor or whatever... Or, or Chris, like you said, keeping them tonally in line with the game, right? Um, yeah, so. Absolutely. It's, it's a case where uh, the other hard part for me, too, was you really got to lead with the hook. Like, what is it about this game that's going to draw people in? Um, and I think that was probably the hardest part for me to figure out, in spite of having worked on the game for, for months and months before that. It's like, what is that it factor that's going to draw people in? And how can I capture that in the first 30 seconds of the video? Like your sort of hot zone where you're going to get somebody's attention and get them to watch the rest of it. Um, but it is it is so important to figure out what that is and then find a way to show that. Um, what I ended up doing was, before even touching any rules, I kind of described the game narratively. Um, in about 30 seconds and gave a, like, a quick tour of all the different spaces on the board and stuff, describing it in a narrative way. Like, uh, you can buy these rental properties and open businesses and maybe you'll even win the lottery, like that kind of thing, um, to sort of uh, to, to try to demonstrate these are the fun things that you'll get to do in this game. Now come with me on this journey. I'll show you how to do that. Um, but, but finding that sort of what is your game's positioning? Like, what is the biggest best selling point your game has and get it on the table as early as possible in your mm-hmm. video show, show, show what the fun is where's I, the fun yeah i was just thinking that some poor designer somewhere as these become as pitch videos become more and more like you got to have one is going to have to do this with like an abstract or a euro and that's not going to be fun like hey um this game this game is about cubes i and think trading cubes i think if you if it's really fun the, the game's got to eh. You've got to love your game, and you've got to show that you love your game. Yeah, but video, you could be right? like, "Hey, you want to play a game that's about turning these cubes?" And I mean, I'm just trying to think of like, sure. like you led with the theme, Chris. Like, and that's what I would always do in a video is lead with the theme because to me, the theme and then a couple unique mechanics—that's the hook, right? So, um, then again, when I think of publishers that would be publishing like big Euro games, 
I feel like they're also the last people that would care about getting a pitch video. That's well, my, it's my know. guess. It, I don't know. It, it's becoming more and more of a, of a requirement, but maybe you position on that. It's like, maybe your positioning is this game is so good. It doesn't even need a theme. Like, you, maybe oh, that's, that's your, true. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're setting yourself up. It's, it's like, this is pure gameplay. Like, and, and maybe you, you go there, but that's, that's the part that you need to figure out is, is like, because you're not going to please everybody with your game. Right. Everybody who designs games should be aware of that. Is that you can't make it for right. an audience of one hundred percent of the gaming population. So who is it that you're pitching to, and what is going to get their attention? And that yep. is what you need to put in there. Absolutely. Um. So there's some homework you got to do even before you even start shooting is is figure out who's going to see this. You know, because if you're thinking of cold calling every publisher in the compendium, uh, you're going to have some hard luck. Uh, speaking speaking of the compendium, I assume you're referring to the cardboard Edison one. Yes. Yes. That very same compendium. Yeah, and that is uh, they also just they just did a bunch of work to it. Uh, I haven't seen the newest version, but I've heard it's great. Um, you know, that resource is really really good in finding a publisher, googling about them, looking at their website, and saying, "Will this game fit them?" You know, like obviously you're not pitching Roll Estate to like a super heavy Euro company that only publishes super heavy Euros, right? That's, you know, about, that are all about trading in the Middle East. Uh, Mediterranean. Sorry, Mediterranean. I know I biffed it as soon as I said it, but, (laughs) but that's, you know, learning that ahead of time is helpful for you to say, Hey, what other companies have done some rolling rights? What companies might be interested in a fun theme like this? Right. Um, I think that, did you find that that helped you do the research you needed to do? Yeah. And I knew it was important. And, I had kind of learned that from my experience with Flip the Table, actually, because I have and still do receive a lot of cold call emails from people blasting a oh, huge yeah. mailing list. Um, and the letters that I get are, hey, I'm the biggest fan of your podcast. I listen to it every week. Would you like to interview me on your show? And we've been off the air since 2017. So, <laughs> Or like, uh, you know, we don't do interviews, right? <laughs> right. Before it was, we don't do interviews and you don't want to be featured on Flip the Table anyway because it's about cheesy games. Uh, and now it's like, uh, we're, you're a couple years too late, my friend. Um, but do I you respond to them? I, I, I have once or twice in when I was kind of in a funk, I guess. <laughs> I sort of sent a curt response like, our show has been out of production for two years. Thanks for your inquiry. Like, usually I only do that if they're sending me really repeated follow-ups. But, right, right. Um, but, uh, but you know, I didn't want to be that person either. I didn't want to just look up every game publisher on earth and right, send and spam my pitch them. video to them and hope something sticks. Um, yeah, yeah. No, and that's absolutely, you know, I agree with you. I mean, we, we get a lot of the, the spam emails on the show too, and it's, it's really a good lesson in what not to do because it's, hey, even if it doesn't say I love your podcast, it's just like, like if it says, hey, Rob and Jason, I'm like, okay. So they looked at the website, right? Um, and they're like, Hey, Rob and Jason, love your show, blah, 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 but don't really say anything of substance. Check out this awesome thing your listeners are going to love. Right. I I don't know if you've heard this. I said on the show before and I read it right now. Again, if you want us to talk about your thing, send me an email, compliment something specific on the show and you'll get my attention. And not because you're complimenting us though. I do like that. (laughs) But because if you do that, I know you're listening to the show, right? And we've had one or two builders do that. Like, hey, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, I'll talk, I'll, I'll mention your your thing on the show because 
because I know you're a builder and I want to help you, right? Um, and it's the same with publishers. I think publishers appreciate when you send them a pitch that you're saying, hey, I feel like this falls in line with these other games you have. I think it fits in your catalog. Um, I'd love to share more about it with you. Right, especially if you're going to take the time to shoot a video because shooting a video, uh, you know, if you know what you're doing, you can do it in about a day. You probably are going to take a little longer if you've never shot video before. Um, it's, it's harder than you think it is. Um, so you really want to target that. You don't want to just blast it at everybody in the world. Did you, you didn't make your video like, hey, blah, 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 game company. Did you? I did not. Okay. Um, because that's, that's something I'm going to put in my email. Right. My email is where I'm going to demonstrate that, yes, I have researched your company and this is why I think this game is a good fit for you. Mm -hmm. Um, because I think a game publisher isn't necessarily going to require me to insert their name directly into the video. Uh, if anything, it puts more pressure on them that they don't want. Right. right. Because I agree. Because it's like I spent 14 hours shooting this only for you. Mm. Um, right. And now you're going to crush my dreams. Yeah. So it's okay. And especially if uh, you want to post your video on social media. Um, right. Then you, you should. Yeah. No, I agree. Um, Why not? I mean, you know, I mean, you could have a publisher uh see it i mean one of the pitches i've got coming up for one of my games was because i posted on social media i'm looking for someone i'm looking for a publisher that might take this type of game and someone said you should talk to these guys and the guy said yes you should send me an email and it was like oh wow great that worked yeah. so no i was actually gonna i was hoping you said you were gonna say you did not do that with the putting the name in the video because two reasons one i do think it puts undue pressure on them and it it feels too personalized it's like hey all my dice are in your basket no pun intended right. i hope you pick me uh but two what happens when you say the wrong name and then you, you, you do it and then send it to the wrong company um right. hey pandasaurus i love your games but it's you know you send it to calliope or some other company you know um wow now they're like oh thanks for pitching to this other company mm. you know Make right. just a really bad edit where you're like, just dub it over, but make your mouth just, move in crazy ways. You're, you're sloppy too, right? I mean, right. Attention to detail is important. Your prototype does not have to look perfect, but it should at least demonstrate that you're paying attention, right? Yep. Yeah, definitely. Um, so, so that's important. And, um, and I thought it might be useful as, as we're talking about this to talk about some specific tips for shooting the video. I was going to say, um, let's like try it. Let's. Yeah, get some specific yes. uh, guidance if we can. Do it up. Yeah. So one thing that I find extremely helpful, um, and I think everybody should do this, is whether you're planning on shooting a pitch video or not, uh, go on Amazon right now and order an inexpensive cell phone tripod. Um, I got mine for maybe 15 bucks, um, and it fits most sizes of cell phone, but it will hold your phone in place so you have a nice steady shot. It makes it much easier to kind of frame your shot so that it looks good. Um, and especially with uh, shooting a pitch video, you'll have to probably zoom a little bit on your phone, and you need that shot to be really steady. Because the yes. further zoomed in you are, the more volatile your shot is if it, your phone gets vibrated or bumped. So that tripod is such a cheap investment, but it goes such a long way to making your video look good. And especially if you're going to do a stand-up where you stand in front of the camera, it allows you to sort of frame the shot, get in front of it, talk, and then look at it afterward uh, to make sure that you look good in the frame. Yeah, for sure. Very important. Another thing that um, I found helpful was uh, 
when I was shooting my video, I had recorded my voiceover first um, because that way I knew I had the length of my video controlled. Um, I knew exactly how long my VO was going to be, and I knew that I had to hit those beats. Um, and uh, if, if you're somebody that's really good at improvising on video, then you don't necessarily have to record your voiceover ahead of time. You can just talk on camera. Just know that you're going to have to watch the clock. Um, you might have a stopwatch or something on hand, so you have a rough idea of how much time you've used. Um, but what I found useful was when I was actually shooting pictures of me manipulating the pieces of the game and writing on my sheet and rolling the dice, I would try to do whatever it was that I was doing and then clear my hands from the shot and then wait 10 or 20 good seconds and let the shot sit there before I did my next thing. And then I would get my hands in the shot, do whatever it is I was going to do quickly and then get them clear again so that I could cut out as much of that dead space as I needed to in between um, and have a seamless cut since your tripod is holding the shot in place, you can cut out that dead space in the middle and it's smooth. Um, so in iMovie, you can just make one cut here and one cut there and knit that together so it looks like you're doing everything right in time with your voiceover. Yeah, that's yeah. that's excellent advice. That's just making it easier on yourself, right? Right. And the other thing too is if, if you script your voiceover out, even if you don't pre-record the voiceover, which actually I think is a really good idea, but if you don't, you still have the script which tells you every shot that you need, um, which is helpful. That way you're not overshooting, right? Because that wastes time and undershooting, which also wastes time. But yeah, you're absolutely right about the take your hand out of the shot and pause. Like that's video editing 101 to where like you're you're always, whenever someone says cut or you you do something in a shot, you always need to wait longer than you think you need to wait to do the next thing because cutting is not magic a lot of times and it will like, oh, that looks stupid because I should have waited two seconds and I waited one second, you know, uh, but giving yourself five, 10, 20 seconds, even nothing wrong with that. Um, in iMovie, Absolutely. it's just as easy to chop that out as it is to chop out one second. Uh, and frankly, sometimes it's easier because it's easy to see those big swaths of time. So, yeah. Yep, and it'll give you more flexibility too. So if you go on for a second before you need to have the next thing, then you have a little bit of space to work with on that. Um, one thing that I did in my video too is there was one or two occasions when like maybe the light would change in my shot or maybe I didn't give myself enough of that clearance. In those cases, I used dissolves to my advantage because it at least looks better than a hard cut where your hand jumps into the shot. Unless there's a specific like motivation, if it just looks funny that way and you think it's, it'll work that's fine, but uh, dissolves can be your friend in those situations because it can show the passage of time when you do that. Starfade's um, really good at that, too. Starfade's Star really, Wipe, you mean? Uh, Star Wipe, Star, yes. That was the Simpsons joke, was the Star Wipe. It was trying, yeah. I was yeah. trying for the Simpsons. I don't watch the Simpsons, <laughs> but I remember that from a long time ago. Yeah. Um, well, wipes, wipes can be useful if you use them tastefully, right? Like, if, <laughs> um, like when I was transitioning between sections like when I was going from one person's turn to another in my video I would use a simple wipe to represent that passage of time so they'd know okay we're breaking from one thing and moving to another mm. um, so like a larger transition to show that you're changing your thought or you're moving on to something else mm. whereas cuts and dissolves really should be the only ones you're using in between yeah I mean there, there's a whole language to to editing mm. video right and it, it's, it's stuff that people don't a lot of people aren't gonna aren't conscious of and don't think of, but but different types of cuts and transitions convey different messages and feelings to to a viewer. Right. You could also too use um, like graphic titles if if you're worried about somebody possibly like 
doing a little fast forwarding while they're watching a video, a graphic title that pops up that says scoring or winning or you know what I mean, whatever Mm -hmm. to pull them back in and say, oh, okay. Uh, The other thing I would suggest uh, if if you're releasing this to the public, this is your choice, but I would always end with a graphic title that has your contact information on it in addition to putting it in the email um, just just because um, as long as you're willing to share said information. Right. You, you should definitely have contact information of some sort in your pitch video that's going to publishers. Even if you open a free Gmail account that you don't use for any other purpose, if, if you don't want to give them like a personal email or whatever, have some way for them to get in touch with you, whether that's a website, uh, a Gmail address, anything like that is fine. Um, but that using those titles, it's, which is very easy to do in iMovie, uh, can be really powerful, whether you're uh, labeling things or just putting your name on the screen at the beginning and your email at the end. You know, and because it looks nice and clean, it's not that hard to do. You've got some good options for different styles, depending on what you're doing, and uh, filling with it a little bit, you can make it look exactly how you want it. Yep, excellent advice. Uh, any um, final thoughts, guys? We're we're quickly running out of time. We got to get your pitch in here, sir. Uh, definitely. Uh, Look at some other pitch videos before you start yours. Um, use those examples. It's okay to take those ideas because I'm sure those folks would be fine with it. You know, you're not stealing their game; you're stealing their shooting style, so that's fine. There you go. Um, and uh, and royalty free music is your friend too. If you can come <laughs> up with some, um, there's plenty of resources for that online. But uh, a little tasteful music bed can go a long way. Absolutely. Yeah, Kevin McLeod. That's who everyone uses on every Kickstarter video ever. <laughs> I challenge you to watch the music credits on Kickstarter videos. It's all Kevin McLeod. It's literally the same guy, Creative Commons. He's done 10 million songs. So, yeah. Yeah. That, that's a lot of songs. I, I don't know that it's 10 million. Roughly, though. Roughly. So, yeah. It's give or take uh, 100,000. Yeah. Probably. Yeah. Probably. That, I think it's fair. Yeah. 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 Still in the 9 million range for sure. For sure. Well, cool. Yeah, I think that's good advice. That's and you're right. That's not something we've talked about before, and it is becoming increasingly important. Um, and I think, frankly, at this point, I'm I'm lucky that I I haven't had to do one, and uh, uh, will likely need to do that in the future. So I appreciate that. Well, I'm glad for a chance to talk about it. It was a fun experience to do, and uh, and I can't wait to see what tricks people come up with their sleeves in the next five years to make these even more of a thing you need to do yeah yeah so uh uh your final duty today is to pitch a game uh so so let's pitch a game do that let's do the thing uh so this is a game that i intend uh if i can get it done in time uh to submit to the gen cant roll and write design contest um so i'm gonna gonna put my money where my mouth is and actually give the listeners a little bit of an exclusive um if you happen to be judging that contest uh you might want to tune out of the show right now (laughs) because what i'm gonna say right now is probably gonna differ from what you're gonna get in your mailbox but also it's gonna blow your mind yeah yeah so you don't want to have a blown mind going into judging right uh, because then you won't be able to judge effectively so um so the name of this game is dump stat <laughs> okay. And and the tagline I have in my head is the storytelling game of poor decisions. All right. All right. And the the concept of the game is that you and your friends are playing a tabletop role playing game, and your dungeon master has offered to buy pizza 
for the player who earns the most experience throughout the course of the night. Um, and you know that your dungeon master tends to reward players who take bigger risks. So you are going to try to egg each other on to make rolls using bad stats. Uh, but if any character dies throughout the course of the night, everybody loses the game. But if you manage hmm. to survive the entire night and the player with the most experience uh, gets a pizza from the DM. Cool? Cool. Okay. So uh, you start out the game by creating your character. Uh, right now the game has uh, six character templates. Um, and creating your character, you can pick between the warrior, the thief, the bard, the wizard, the scholar, and the peasant. Um, each class has one sort of preferred stat and one dump stat. And you're going to be signing five die types to these stats from a four-sided die all the way up to a 12-sided die and everything in between, D6, D8, D10, D12. Um, when you check these stats, uh, that die type is what you roll when you check that stat. Um, and dice always explode. So if I'm rolling a six-sided die and I get a six, I get to roll it again and add that total in. Nice. And it can explode multiple times. So if I get two sixes in a row, I get to roll it yet again and, and add that into my total. Okay. Um, so, for example, uh, the stats you have available are strongness, fastness, smartness, charmingness, and magicness. Love it. <laughs> Those um, are the best stats ever. Absolutely perfect. And and uh, so if you're playing the warrior, for example, you will always have a D12 in strongness and always have a D4 in charmingness. Okay. Um, so each class has one preferred stat, one dump stat, and you can assign whatever you want to the three in between. So you get a little bit of agency how you create your character. Um, if you're playing the peasant, you get to put them wherever you want. There's no restrictions. But each player must play a different class. So uh, on your turn, uh, what you're going to do is roll a 20-sided die and consult ye old encounter chart. Uh, which will tell you what it is that you're going to run into. And you are encouraged, because it's a storytelling game, to describe the encounter using whatever embellishment or detail that you want. Um, so if I roll the a 16, for example, I might run into an orcish army. Or if I, run into a, if I roll a 20, I run into a humorless dragon, or an ancient pickle jar, or a rabid tortoise, or any one of these number of sort of crazy encounters. Uh, each of them has a challenge rating, which will tell you how many experience points it's worth and what the difficulty of the role is to overcome it. So if I run into a, um, uh, a skeleton horse, for example, uh, then that is a challenge rating of three, which means it's worth three experience points, but I have to hit a six on a die roll to beat it. Okay? Okay. So let's say I'm playing with you, uh, and we'll say that uh, Linear Wexford is our fourth player, just for argument's sake. Okay, makes uh, so sense. Rob, Rob, Jason, and Linear. Uh, I'm playing the warrior, um, and I describe to you, okay, the skeleton horse is standing in front of the dungeon door, uh, and it's angry because this is its home and it doesn't want you to invade. What should I do? The other players then each make a suggestion as to which stat they think I should roll to overcome that challenge and they can lobby for it however they want uh so rob you might say uh well i think you should use your charmingness uh to convince that horse to get out of the way and jason might say you should use your magicness to make it disappear and uh linear wexford might say you should use your strongness to punch it in the face just punch it in the face so each of you make a case for what stat you think i should use um i'll look at my uh character sheet and depending on which stat that I roll is what kind of experience 
bonus that I will get for using that stat. So if I use my dump stat, which is charmingness, I have a D4 that I need to use to hit a difficulty of six, which is pretty difficult, right? Mm-hmm. But I will get five extra experience points if I do that because that's my worst stat. Okay? Okay. I must choose one of your three suggestions. I cannot choose anything other than that. Mm, um, nice. So in, all right. So in this case, I decide to go for the gold and I roll my charmingness to try to charm the horse away. I roll a D4. I get a four. It explodes. And then I roll a one. I get a, a five. That's not a six. I miss the check. I take a point of damage. All players have three hit points, and if any player dies during the course of the game, the game is over. Um, But in addition to me not passing the check, the person whose idea it was, they now must seek revenge. And they have to take the check using the same stat, but on their character sheet. Oh. All right. So so I think it was, uh, we'll say it was Rob that uh, convinced me to try to, to charm the horse. Sounds like um, so Rob. he has a charmingness of a D8. He rolls a seven. He passes it. Now he gets the experience uh, for that encounter. Okay, but I get my experience, not your experience. Correct. Yeah, okay. However, had I passed the check, I would have gained the experience, and you would have gained the same experience for having such a great idea because oh. the DM rewards teamwork. Nice. So it's a balancing act between... Um, trying to suggest something that you may have to take on yourself if the person fails, while at the same time trying to decide how much opportunity you want to allow them to gain experience points. Okay. Um, Quick question. So, um, yeah. so one point of damage is what you always take if you fail? Always just one point okay. of damage. You were one and point I- off of missing it, so I was clarifying that that, is, that was not because you were one point off. You you one is the most if i was 10 points off still take one point of damage correct if you pass you're good you gain the experience if you fail you take one point of damage every time and if the person seeking revenge fails they also take a point of damage um so there's some there's a high incentive to use worse stats because you get much more points but uh it can also kill off your whole party if you're not careful um So the game continues until all players have had two encounters where they were the sort of lead player getting to make the decision or until one character dies, in which case the whole game is over right then and there. At the end of each round, uh, anybody who rolled dice marks one point under skill bonus for the die that they rolled. And the next time they roll that, they'll actually get a plus one bonus. Um, So the more you use the skill, the better you get at it. Um, So you could potentially build your dump stat or your lower stats into higher stats but still keep the same experience points later in the game. Um, so I have a question about the math of this. I'm just thinking about sure. like, okay, so if the only, so for instance, let's take the six, the horse is a six, right? So let's say the three choices I was given were um, the D4, the D6, or the D8, right? Mm-hmm. So the worst choice there is is obviously the D6, Right. Because I immediately have a one in six chance of winning, of get of like if I don't roll a six, I'm done. Now the D four, I have a one in four chance, right? Because I just need to get a right. four, and then if I roll it again, I have a fifty fifty shot of no better than I have a seventy five percent chance 
because I just need to get so so some of that math could be it's it's not bad it's it's interesting to me right like that math on that right, right? of like rolling a d8 is so basically rolling a d8 on that first roll I have a th- three out of eight chance of getting it and rolling right, a, and rolling a d4 I have a two eights chance of getting it right <laughs> so um no that I like that it's interesting this game sounds amazing first of all I just want to say that um, but that, that math just kind of like, I was starting to try and do that in my head, which is always yeah. dangerous. It's, the, it's not as simple as, Hey, the, the right. bigger die is the better choice. Is there any way to get a modifier? That was going to be my question. Yeah. 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 So, uh, so you do get a modifier each time that you use the stat. So regardless of your pass or fail, um, because you used it, you check a box next to that stat under a section called skill bonus. And that gives you a plus one in the future. Oh, that's uh, that's real dice, good. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Now to explode your dice, you still have to get a natural maximum roll. So that yeah, doesn't yeah. help your dice explode more. Um, but um, that does a, give you a way to build your stats a little bit. So you might tank a couple of rolls and just use the same stat each time so that you have a stronger bonus so you can go for a real big sort of score later in the game. Um and, uh, and I should note that the XP bonus does scale a little bit. So if you use your best stat, your D12, that's a zero bonus. Um, you will just get the experience for the encounter. Um, but if you use your D4, then it's that five-point bonus. So it kind of slides up depending on, on how much you use. Um. Yeah, that sounds great, man. Um, um, I'm trying to think of other questions. So another, can you heal? Can you ever heal or no? So I have not tested this yet, but what I was thinking was that I could give each player a magic potion, uh, which they could use to either recover one point of damage or re-roll a failed roll. Um, but they had to choose one or the other and could only do it once per game. That, no, and I like that because that gives them a risk. You could also have at the end that it's worth XXP if they so don't say, use yeah. it. So. Yeah, so just, it could be like a small bonus if you just right. hang on to it. And you make it small, basically just so that they're not pissed if they forget to use it or don't ever have a chance. Um, but that said, the other way to look at it would be if they're not using it, it's probably because they're doing really well. So screw them. Don't give them any extra experience points. It could go either way. Right. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, it gives you an, an interesting choice to make it because this is a pretty simple game. It, it, it is a very social game it, it's not going to be for everybody it, it's got to be I, I think it's a game where you kind of have to bring your own gravy to it a little bit you have to get into the role playing you don't have to get way into character but it's the act of sort of setting the scene and then convincing somebody that they should do something and why they should do it makes it a little bit more fun than just saying i think you should roll your d4 mm-hmm. um yeah, and so so you're um, you said you're rolling on an encounter table, uh, an encounter table to determine what the next scene is. Um, you know, you could take it a step farther. And of course, my my brain naturally goes to the narrative opportunities in here, right? And and you could you could write specific you know scenarios or something, a specific series of encounters and things. So you could have like a couple of pre baked like adventures almost. Yeah, right. Adventure modules. Yeah. yeah. Um, that might be, I mean, I, you don't need that of course. Right. But it might, it might help connect, uh, it might help bridge a little bit of that gap between 
hardcore role players and uh, um, people who are more interested in casual tabletop stuff. Um, yeah, and it might you know lend it to some kind of expandability too, you know, right. or give people some ideas on things they could do at home. Yeah, and then and then part of what I want to accomplish with the encounter table is to have sort of intentionally mismatched checks where um, you are using a stat that you have no business using and coming up with some creative BS <laughs> reason why that it would work when you're making this suggestion. Mm-hmm. Um, so like one of the uh, things is the jammed pickle jar. Um, and so you might say, well, I think you should charm it open. You should just smooth talk it until it opens itself. Like, Well, you're charming the, the pickle spirit, right? That's what it's about. Um, exactly. And so like that's sort of like yes and improv thing right. is where I think a lot of the fun of the game will come from in addition to sort of throwing each other under the bus and, uh, and yeah. giving them the choice between a couple of terrible choices. Um, yeah. That, that and, aspect really, really gets my brain going. And I really, I, I get excited about goofy role playing. Yes. And kind of stuff. This is Rob's jam right here. Yeah. Like totally. I mean, <laughs> I think it sounds awesome too, but this is, you've really got Rob just, he's, he's just thinking he's staring off into space. Yeah. That's exciting. Um, <laughs> um the only thing here that sounds like a huge missed opportunity, I'm just going to be honest, uh, is that a skeletal unicorn is way funnier than a skeletal horse. So, you know, right. you know I mean, because um, who thinks about an undead uh, unicorn, right? I mean, that's just, that's just wrong. For the record. What I was actually thinking of doing was um, rolling two dice and then one 20-sider or even 10-sider is like a descriptor. Yes. And then the second one is the thing. So it could yes. be undead or angry or magical, or smelly, or whatever, and then you know the next chart would be monsters, or just objects, or right. people, or just pickle jars. You know, you know. so um, so so it kind of gives you a little bit of something to hang your storytelling off when you're setting the scene. That's good. Um, and yeah. uh, and then by the end of it, I, I have a place I call it Yield Adventure Log, where you are asked to write down each encounter. So by the end of your six or eight rounds, however long you play it. Um, you have like a little sort of story that you've told at the end of it, as goofy as it may be. Yeah. So, so, so an undead unicorn would be a zombicorn, right? Well, you're correct. Yeah. What would an undead pickle jar be? Uh, uh, that would be a pickle lich. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's it. Pretty sure. Yeah. That's yeah. That's dead on. Yeah. Yeah. That is, okay. That's yep. the episode title right there. Pickle itch, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm pickle itch under my armpits. <laughs> okay, all right, all right. I think that's as good as it's gonna get. We should probably uh, roll out from there. We're also right, yeah, so. we're also quite a bit out of time here. <laughs> all right. Well, I'm glad to uh, to push this thing over time with you. I appreciate the extra couple minutes. No, this uh, it's I, great. Uh, get this game together. We want to play it. Yeah, totally, dude. Yeah. Well, I will make a goal to um, have a prototype to you guys sometime before Rob leaves the show. Okay. Let's, let's, whether I make the contest deadline or not, I'll make sure that, that Cause, I Because we've games. got a game night coming up at the end of June, right? Yep, yep. Yeah. Alternatively, why don't you just go ahead and get a rough prototype ready? Really? I'm just going to lay this on you. Get a rough prototype ready before Origins. And we, can, we will, and play we will the record crap an episode oh, for yes. you with, with other fun people playing this game. So if that you, is, that yeah, is a sick idea, and I'm down with it. All right, 
I know that's a tight timeline, dude. But I but, mean, really, it can yeah. be it can be like sweaty, man. It doesn't have to be anything perfect. When's when's Origins? Two weeks. Two weeks. Okay, I yeah. think I can at least have like bullets on a page, and and I'll leave it to your yeah. smart gamer brains to figure things out. But we are leaving on the thirteenth. Um, yeah. So. so I mean, really, like we don't need cards or anything. Or care. I mean, like you make one character sheet where we can just fill out the rest. Like we'll Good do enough. that. That's not. I mean. But I, this would be the most fun episode to record with people. Absolutely. Like, oh, my God. I love that. It's one way to blind test is to make somebody record a podcast about it. Right. right. Um. And, and here's the good news. If it goes really, really well and is a lot of fun, you could then include that with your pitch. Like, hey, listen to these idiots playing this game. So <laughs> There you go. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. So, uh, so it's the date. We'll make this thing. And I'm glad to hear you're excited about it. I'm excited about it, too. Yeah. It's a killer idea. Very killer. Yeah, cool. All right, so that's Dumpstat. Dumpstat, love awesome. it. All right, anything else you want to plug right now, Chris? Uh, Tableflipshoot.com to listen to the entire series of uh, Flip the Table. Um, and if you're interested in hearing about real estate, uh, you can follow me on social media at TableflipsU. Um, if you happen to be somebody that publishes games, uh, I got a sell sheet and a pitch video, turns out, and, uh, and I'd be happy to share it with you. All right, we'll get a link um, to that in the show notes, too. Uh, if, if it somehow is not sold by the uh, time that this airs, then, uh, then let's chat about it. All right, fantastic. Then that's going to do us. Thanks, builders, for listening. We appreciate it. Uh, normal stuff, building the game podcast at gmail.com, 770-TELL-BTG, uh, at poorly underscore designed, at JA Slingerland, at podcast BTG, at table flips you, um, building game podcast.com. Um, that's enough. Chris, hey, thanks again, man. It's always a pleasure to have you on. It's always a pleasure to be here. Thanks for inviting me back. I appreciate it. You betcha. Awesome. So much fun, man. Okay. Good night. Right. Good night. No use the email. <laughs> <laughs>